This should be played at high volume, preferably in a residential area. Live and local from the 1037 The Game Studios in Upper Lafayette. This is Acadiana's number one sports station, 1037 The Game. Streaming live at 1037thegame.com and on the free 1037 The Game mobile app. It's Saturday. Take a walk on the wild side. Get your Saturday started with an inside look under the dome with the world famous CD. Do you know who I am? I don't know how to put this, but I'm kind of a big deal. On 103.7, the game. Good afternoon, everybody. Happy Saturday. Hope you have a good one so far. I know I sure am because I'm here with you and we're talking all things sports under the dome with CD is officially underway and we are coming to you live as per the use from the first Sound Farm Credit Studios. Baby, we're looking good. And appreciate you listening in however you're doing. So be it on that old school 1037 FM dial. The tower of power, too sweet to be sour. I'm funky like a monkey. Sky's the limit and space is the place. Oh, yeah. Or better yet, if you're listening through the free mobile app, you've got also, not only the free mobile app, you've got everything going on with those fancy, smancy smart speeds. You heard that liner just a minute ago. That's a great way to listen to us. Through that aspect, and we got a lot of other different ways to listen to us. So appreciate you listening in. Heck, you know, if you miss an interview, you miss a segment. Trust me, you miss quite a lot. You miss a lot of my ramblings and rants and everything in between. Well, we'll have it up not too long after the show goes off the air, and we got a great show lined up for you. I'll give you the details about that in just a little bit. But in the meantime, and in between time, let's get down to brass tacks here and get to what's causing all this and why the heck I'm here. On a Louisiana Saturday afternoon, again, appreciate you listening in, however you're doing so. And, and, hey, if you're enjoying yourself, you know, maybe having that second cup of coffee or popping that first top, getting a little day drinking going on, more power to you. But I've got some thoughts, as I always do. So let's go ahead and get it started with how we do each and every Saturday with the Saturday Sports Sermon. The famous CD is on his soapbox to start your Saturday. It's time for your Saturday Sports Sermon. And we start off with a bit of a depressing note. And that involves a team in New Orleans. And with all due respect, they have one game left. But at the end of the day, it's already been confirmed. A lot like Vince McMahon says, they've got no chance in hell of making the postseason. So at this point, it's time to pour the dirt on the Pelican season, and give it a proper burial. Rest in peace. And that's where we're at. The New Orleans Pelican season can rest in peace. And it's another year of false hopes and underwhelming results. It's become the clarion call for this franchise, and I continue to wonder why I put up with it. I always have and always will continue to be in support of the underdog. At the end of the day, because I'm a wrestling fan. One thing that keeps me a fan is the chase. 
It's one of the plucky baby faces chasing the top title or whatever. And when he finally gets what he's been chasing for this entire time, the feeling is euphoric, not just for him, but the, for the fans that have been supporting him as he gets to that point in time. Fast forward to now. The New Orleans Pelicans are a team that just never quite is able to get over the hump. And this is something that's got me a little bit frustrated because there's no, you know, the chase, it continues to be one step forward, about 10 steps back. They keep making these strides towards being a solid team. Zion Williams has had a lot of growth in year number two. I'll give that, I'll give the team some credit. B.I. doing B.I. things. You have Nikhil Alexander-Walker. He's looked a little bit better. Kyra Lewis Jr. has started to kind of make his own strides. There's a lot of guys in that group that are having steps in the right direction. But a lot like Keith Sweat, they got me twisted over this team. And bottom line, I don't understand why. I don't understand why we have that, you know, great strides towards being a solid team. And it feels like everything's in the going in the right direction. But we also see this same exact team take like 10 steps back. You have Lonzo's inconsistent shooting. The injuries have mounted up on the team the last couple games. One of the big reasons why they got eliminated from postseason play is because of the Zion Williamson ring finger injury. And that wound up putting a lot of onus on younger guys being in that spot, not necessarily having to have Lonzo, B.I., and, and Zion lead the way. Because I think if Lonzo, B.I., and Zion were healthy, the conversation would shift very much so towards this team being a, I'm not going to say middle of the pack, because I think they, they're not a middle of the pack team. They could have very well been a 10 or a 9 seed, if not for injuries, kind of like really stop starting their momentum. And again, that's, that's part of the game. I can't necessarily blame it all on that, but they've got guys that need to like have some more, a little more growing up to do before they can be relied on on the like mega stars that we want them to be. And the New Orleans Pelicans, at the end of the day, are that plucky underdog babyface that you want to see get it done, but it's so hard. And then when Wednesday night came around, I resigned to the fact, especially after the Grizzlies lost, you know, even if the Pelicans did win that game, unless the other way, unless the other team that was in that spot lost, you were donezo. So I felt like the odds were completely against them. They didn't deserve to be in the playing tournament because of the fact that they aren't that great. And they would have been a two and Q type of team in that play-in tournament. Would have, it's best two out of three. They would have lost both of those games to start off the tournament, start off postseason play and be back in the same position. Who really wants to be in there whenever you could just go ahead and be on the outside looking in and focus on seeing how the basketballs or the ping-pong balls bounce in the lottery before too long? And now comes the part that I think it's a hard thing for many Pelicans fans to hear because I don't think they want to hear it. But it needs to become part of that conversation. What are they going to do to keep Zion Williamson happy? He's only been in the league for two years and was hurt for nearly half of his first season. And it's been nothing but pain for him. Both literally and, you know, figuratively. It's clear Lonzo Ball isn't working out. And the Pelicans, I think, if there's one guy you send off to, you know, wherever you think he's going to fit best, that's a guy I 100% want to see gone from the Pelicans franchise. It's like G, double O, double N, Doubly gone. That's where I'm standing with the 
Falcons because I think you need to get something that's going to be a better piece, even if it's in the NBA draft this year. You've got to try and maximize your potential with Zion Williamson because he's two years in and he only got into really postseason play because of the fact they had to make a play-in tournament due to COVID and Zion Williamson draws ratings. So they expanded the field to make sure he gets in. That's where we're at with this team. And I'm sitting here thinking that if they want to be able to make it into the top 10 or even the top 8 because I feel like LeBron James with his crying and complaining about the way the the playing tournament is, he might help try and put the kibosh on this after the season because we know LeBron James has all the clout in the world in the NBA. He's going to wind up doing things a certain way. He's going to want to do things a certain way, and the NBA will just bow down to the king, quite literally. And for me, I think the Pelicans have to show Zion a lot this offseason. Show that they are focused on getting him all in on this 2021-2022 season to be not, not a championship team, but at least a team that can be a contender right now today. He's in his third year. It's the last ride of his third year. Three, he has a three-year rookie contract. It's time to either bleep or get off the pot, if you will. I think that's kind of where it's at. Obviously, you've got a couple of years where you have that that option, if you will. He's going to be free agent in 2023, RFA at that. But you know that if you want to get keep this guy for the long haul, you've got to prove to him. You've got to prove to him and everybody else in the league that you are willing to go all in and make sure you get this team to a certain level, get this team into playoffs, and be a contender. You've got to get rid of. If you got to get rid of some key pieces, even if you got to get got to get rid of Bi and you get something really good in return, so be it. This is where we're at. It's either you do the right thing, and you make sure you show him that you are willing to make changes, and you are willing to build this team around him, and get the right guys that are going to help this team get to those heights they haven't seen in a good while. Because if you don't, I think Zion's going to have his mind made up after year three. Because you'll see the writing on the wall and know that in time, he's just going to go ahead, phone it in, and wait until the end of the road. His contract runs out. He'll go somewhere else. He'll go to Los Angeles. He'll go somewhere else that's going to utilize his talents to the fullest extent. Because if you can't get this guy into the postseason without having the NBA fudge the numbers around and make it so you are in a play-in tournament, Zion's going to walk if they can't turn it around. It happened with CP3. It happened with AD. Who's to say? things? Bad things come in threes. And this could very well be the third time around the Pelicans have it to reboot it again. And I think the fact that this team just feels like they are not learning from history. And the old saying goes, those who don't learn history are doomed to repeat it. They are doomed to repeat it. So David Griffin, SVG, Mrs. Benson, anyone else with some stroke in the New Orleans Pelicans organization, I've got one thing to say for you, and it's three simple words. Get it together. Get it together. Because if you don't, 
the Pelicans franchise will fall. And it feels like it's already starting to fall in a downward angle, downward trajectory. This Pelicans team needs to figure out what their identity is, where they stand, because if they don't, it is going to be an absolute uphill climb. I want to see what this Pelicans team can do going forward. But unless they fix some of their issues, they will not go anywhere in the NBA. The only place I can see them going is maybe out of New Orleans. Because I think at one point, Miss Benson's going to have to realize this is a losing effort. And keeping on a lot of these guys, it's going to be an, a struggle. It's going to be a struggle to see how this whole thing goes. The Pelicans have every have had every chance. You had CB3. You managed to make it to the Western Conference Finals years ago. But the Western Conference is a whole different monster. And I think you kind of have to realize sooner rather than later, when you have CP3 leave, when you have AD leave, and then maybe Zion Williamson in the next couple of years leaves, where does that leave you as a franchise without with a rudderless ship, if you will? Because who's to say that there's another opportunity down the road for New Orleans to be at the top? Like, I don't think... There's an opportunity for New Orleans to be in that number of a team that's going to wind up continually getting another opportunity to be a number one number one pick and get another once-in-a-generation type of talent like Zion Williamson is, like Anthony Davis was before the injuries. I think there's a precedent where the New Orleans Pelicans have to kind of look, look deep in the mirror if Zion Williamson leaves, and I think especially – Mrs. Benson, she's going to look at this and realize there's no money. There's no money in keeping this thing afloat. And it's best for me to go ahead and ship this team off, sell it to somebody else, have them relocate, and kind of cut your losses. That's just at least from my point of view. Maybe I'm completely wrong. Maybe I'm thinking like a whole different thing. If you got some thoughts, hit me up, 337-706-0111. Got a couple guests at the bottom of each hour. 11.30, we're going to have on Jacob Westendorf of Game On Wisconsin. We're going to talk about the ongoing Aaron Rodgers drama. Maybe also get a little preview of that week one matchup between the Saints and the Green Bay Packers. Also, 12.30, it's a big day for the for the fight game. UFC 262 going on tonight. We're going to preview it and more with John Eric Poli of My MMA News. We'll get to that and so much more. Over the course of the next two hours. So get your shots up. We'll be back after this and we'll talk some NFL schedule releases, more preferably with the New Orleans Saints. Back after this on 1037 The Game and 1037thegame.com. famous, but he still goes out and eats a shrimp po' boy just like the rest of us. Just don't talk to him while he's eating. Lay off me, I'm starving. Now, back to Under the Dome on 103.7 The Game, Acadiana's sports station. If you want to get in on the conversation, 
337 Welcome back to Under the Dome with CD. Right here on 103.7 The Game and 103.7thegame.com. Appreciate you listening and hope you have a great Saturday and you make it not just a good one, but a great one. But before I want to talk about the Saints' schedule, because I've got my thoughts on that, I've got some questions for you. Are you looking for a career change? You stuck in your job and it just feels like you're stuck in the mud and you know, you're definitely kind of spinning your tires at this point? Or do you just need a job? Well, I've got an opportunity for you. Well, not me, really. Technically, it's Delta Media. If you have an experience with sales, get that application in today. Send that resume over to Johnette Cochran by emailing jcochran, J-C-O-C-H-R-A-N, at Delta Media Corp. That's C-O-R-P dot com. Or give her a ring at 896-1600. We're interviewing for full-time positions this week. So guess what? If you're ready to be a full-time beast and sell advertising for Delta Media, that includes us, the good folks here at 103.7 The Game, Acadiana Sports Station, you can email Cochran at deltamediacorp.com or, again, call up 896-1600 during business hours. Obviously, if you call today, you might get a good old voicemail. But trust me, if you want to sell for Delta Media, that's how you do it. It's just that simple. Make sure you go check it out. We're, we're, we've got some great sales opportunities for you. Let me get back to the Saints schedule because I've got a lot of thoughts on it. And I think, obviously, the one big thing that stands out to me is, obviously, the 17-game schedule is a little bit weird. It's going to take some getting used to. I think that's the biggest takeaway, number one. The other takeaway is there are a lot of road trips. It's not just, oh, you you like some seasons you'll have home away, home away, home away, home away. It always you'll have a couple like road trips, but you've got at least three roadies you're going to have to deal with, and it's yeah, week two and week three. You've got to go right out the gates, go up to Carolina, and then go up to New England, and then you have Washington football team. Then you have week off in Seattle. Then you do it again with Tennessee and Philly. And you do it one more time towards the end of the season with the New York Jets and Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Overall, not that bad. You don't have like a long road trip. Like you're going, relatively speaking, from one like two East Coast teams at a time. Obviously, the Washington football teams in D.C., it's not Washington State like Seattle is. But you've got that bye week in between, so I can live with that. And I, I, Nick Fano, we we were on, he was on with me on Thursday, right after the schedule got released, and he had a lot of pointed thoughts about the fact that they had to play X number of games in like like th- I don't know, it was like three games in thirteen days. I'm like, and you know, I'm sure there's a lot of other teams that deal with that. The one takeaway I have that I'm absolutely like ecstatic about is the fact that we don't have to deal with a Thursday night game like, like in the first quarter of the season. And you got another one in the last half, in the last quarter. You've got both of your Thursday night games you got to deal with right then and there towards the middle part of the season, tail end, and they're back-to-back. They're back-to-back. Yes, it sucks you have to play Thursday night after playing Sunday. Thankfully, it's not like it was a few years ago. I think the, the NFL is starting to understand how to book things out for Thursday night football because nobody wants to play 
on Thursday nights. Like, nobody. Because of the fact that it's such a distinct disadvantage to play a game on, like, four days rest. It's a dis- it's a disgusting thing that we're seeing. But I do like what they did with the Saints. Gave them two straight Thursday night games. It's something you don't necessarily have to deal with as much. It's not, a, it's not a much of a pain in the ass as it has been. Now you have to deal with the fact that you play the Buffalo Bills and the Dallas Cowboys. Buffalo feels like it's a loss. Dallas, it's a potential swing game. I think it's all about how this team looks midway through the season. The conversation does shift. But once you get into early December, it feels like the Cowboys fall apart and pack up shop. And who's to say that things don't continue going that route for Dallas? Personally, I would love that because I'm not a huge Dallas Cowboys fan. I'm sure none of you who are listening in the Acadiana area really are. If you are, 337-706-0111. If you want to get in and talk about some Dallas Cowboys and what your thoughts are on how their schedule turn out. But for me, I... I'm far from an optimist. You've listened to the show enough, you know I'm not necessarily the glass half full type of guy. But strictly from a from a eyeball test, I don't think there's any excuse why the Saints can't start off four and one to start the season heading into the bye week. Because I think they lose the season over to the Packers. The next four games are going to be tough. Don't get me wrong. But I feel like they're easily winnable. You're playing New England in September versus playing them like. November in Foxborough. I I give them an, an absolute shot at getting it done in week three, and I think Cam Newton could be done done in after that game, depending on how he performs. Then it's that schedule after week six, and people want to complain about the fact you have a bye week early on. I would much rather the bye week early on than what like the Kansas City Chiefs have to deal with week fourteen. Week fourteen is when they play, when they have their bye week. That's, like, borderline sadistic. Now, yes, the Chiefs will have, like, a bye week, more likely than not, after the season is done, heading into the AFC Divisional Round. More likely than not, that's going to be the way it goes. I'd be flabbergasted if things are a little bit different. So, I'm okay with it being early. And I the fact it's during Jazz Fest. Perfectly fine with it. Now, next year, if it's, like, week four bye week, I think week four is like the biggest joke to have like a bye week because then it's like, oh, hey, you have to go through the rest of your season without a week off. It's pretty damn disappointing, to be honest with you. Now we go to what's going on with the second half of that schedule. I think these are the following swing games. It's both Bucks games, more so the road game. I think it's a swing. Tennessee Titans, that is a de- – Tennessee Titans, the Buffalo Bills, feel like a loss. Cowboys are probably a swing game. And I'd say, you know, the Seahawks are, are a swing game too, don't get me wrong, but I still feel like the Saints could get it done on Monday Night Football. It's not the home of the 12th man that we've seen in the past. Yes, I think that the vibes of the fans, like, here's the thing. I've talked about it before. And I've talked about it, especially the Cajun Strong Style podcast, is the fact that, like, the second we have full-blown attendance, the crowds are going to be Hot as all get out. I guarantee you, you will have fans losing their minds and like losing their voices too because of the fact they'll be able to go to live events again. Now, to what extent things will be open? I'm hoping full capacity and we're past this net long, not just national, but worldwide nightmare we've been going through over the last year and change. I'm hoping we're getting past this. 
But I think if you have 100% attendance, eventually that things that novelty is going to wear off and things are going to go back, relatively speaking, to normal. And week seven at Seattle could be that tipping point where you say, hey, say, like, you won't have that 12th man high energy like you would, let's say, week one when the Saints host the Packers. The Packers is a bona fide loss in my book. So for me, my four. So I have the Saints going thirteen and four. I think Packers are a loss. I think Tampa Bay on the road is going to be a loss. As much as I would love to say they sweep both those games, it just there's something that smells like a loss there. Buffalo feels keyword feels like a loss. The swing games: Seattle, Tennessee. I'd say Dallas, and I'd say both Buccaneers games, and maybe Miami. Like Miami's a fringe because I feel like they could get a lot better year, the a first full year under Tua Tagovailoa, but I'm not necessarily sure. But I am interested to see how it's all going to turn out for New Orleans. And one other big takeaway, and I think we can talk about this till the cows come home. Five post uh, five primetime games. Listen, not postseason. Five primetime games for the Saints. That I think speaks to the statement that the Saints are an absolute draw. And that's not counting the fact they've got one, two, they two other games where they're on at three twenty-five. Potentially America's game of the week. That speaks to the drawing power of the New Orleans Saints because. Anytime you see a game that's on TV, Saints games that are prime time have been drawing some of the best ratings all season long, year over year over year. Now, is that just more the fact that it's the Saints? But I think the New Orleans market does have a huge draw, and it's a huge NFL fan base. Despite what you might read in some newspapers or internet misinformation articles, New Orleans is a huge market for the New Orleans for the NFL, and they're taking advantage of it by having this team. And they are a top draw every time they're out there. So I'm looking forward to seeing how the season is going to turn out. I'm not necessarily sure you'll get to the top to the mountaintop this year, but first year with Jameis Winston, hopefully, you know, they, if they get Aaron Rodgers, that'd be huge. And then my then my record changes entirely. I would be surprised fourteen or fourteen and three or fifteen and two is the possibility. But it's going to be a lot of fun to see how it all turns out. We'll be back after this. We've got Jacob Westendorf joining the program next. Right here on 103.7 The Game and 103.7thegame.com. Sports talk radio shows go up to 10 on the amp, but under the dome with CD goes one higher. Why don't you just make 10 louder and make 10 be the top number and make that a little louder? These guys to 11. Now back to the show that brings the heat on Acadiana Sports Station, 1037 The Game. Welcome back to Under the Dome with CD right here on 1037 The Game, 1037thegame.com. And we're going to kind of get into the ongoing, I'd say it's a soap opera, depends on which one you talk about, Days of Our Lives, General Hospital, you got, you know, Young and the Restless, whichever one that you remember watching back in the day whenever you were sick as a dog from school, you weren't able to go to school that day, 
We're going to talk about it with our next guest. He covers the Green Bay Packers for Game on Wisconsin. And, of course, he hails from Green Bay, Wisconsin. And that is Jacob Westendorf. Jacob, how's it going, man? Good to be here. Thanks for having me on a Saturday. Like I told you when we were talking, I love soap operas, so let's let's go through it. Huh? What soap opera would you compare this to? Would this be more of a daytime soap opera? Would this be more along oh. the lines of like a dynasty or a Dallas? Yeah, I don't know, man. There's been so many twists and turns, and it's been three weeks, and I'm exhausted. I made the joke the other day. I need a cigarette, and I don't smoke, so <laughs> I... Uh, I don't really know what to compare it to. It's unlike, you know, this is like the 2008 saga with Brett Favre, but it's different because there's social media involved and a bunch of other different stuff too. So I'm not quite sure where to go on that. And I'm looking forward to seeing how things are going to turn out. I think first things first, before we get into the whole Aaron Rodgers thing, I, earlier in the week, Blake Bortles signed with the Green Bay Packers. <laughs> what does that mean, if anything? In terms of Aaron Rodgers, nothing. Uh, I think the Packers, they like having three quarterbacks on their roster that that know the system and know what they're doing. Bortles obviously has experience with Nathaniel Hackett, their offensive coordinator, so he has some experience with that system. He worked with Sean McVay a couple years ago. I think it's just adding some insurance to what they feel is the most important position in the sport. I'd agree with you there. And, you know, one of the things that I've just noticed, and I've gotten in conversations with other people who cover the Green Bay Packers, is it just feels like they haven't given Aaron Rodgers anything the last couple of years to succeed. Why hasn't the Packers? Why haven't the Packers just done the simple thing? What makes the most sense? And that's giving Aaron Rodgers the weapons in like the first round, giving some wide receivers in the first round, because I feel like more often than not, that's basically what the Packers do: is develop more from within instead of going out and going grab all these splash free agents. Yeah, I, I think that, um, you know, they've had some success, obviously, in the second and the third rounds. There's a few names. Devontae Adams is one. You know, James Jones, Greg Jennings, Jordy Nelson, Michael Finley was a third-round tight end. The issue that they've had is that their their defense has been terrible uh, most years since 2011. So, you know, the first-round wide receiver graphic, it, it gets a lot of views and a lot of clicks, and the idea is that they haven't helped Aaron Rodgers. But I say this very confidently, that since the Packers won the Super Bowl in 2010, they have not lost a single playoff game because they haven't had, quote, enough firepower or enough weapons. I think that that is a nice thing to get some debate going, and obviously the first-round receiver thing gets a lot of pub. But they had the best offense in the league last year. Statistically, they have uh, – uh, the, maybe the best receiver in football. They have a top five to ten running back. They have the best offensive line in football, which is something we never talk about when it comes to weapons. But you guys know down in New Orleans, when Drew Brees was protected, that's when he was really, really good. Any quarterback, Tom Brady even, when he's on his back, it doesn't matter how many receivers you have. So I think they do have enough weapons. And I think that the first-round receiver thing is a little overhyped. Um, they just have struggled with fixing their defense, and that's why we're having this conversation now. Oh, I, I agree completely. And when it comes to this situation with the Green Bay Packers, I think there's a. It just feels like the front office and Aaron Rodgers have been clashing for a good while, and we started hearing a lot of that, especially after the whole "we're going to draft Jordan Love in the first round." That created a lot of controversy, and it's like it makes you wonder what's it going to like. What is it going to take before the Packers just say, "All right, you want to go? Fine. We're gonna, tell us where you want to go." 
Wow, that's I think that last year when they drafted Jordan Love, I think that they thought Rodgers was coming off to one season he was injured, 2019. There are obviously some things with the new coach, a new offense, uh, things of that nature. But I think that there was some thought in the back of their head that maybe they thought he was starting to decline a little bit, and they wanted themselves covered. You know, the example I gave in a story I wrote a while ago for Packer Report was look at the Pittsburgh Steelers. They've gone all in on Ben Roethlisberger. Roethlisberger clearly can't play anymore, at least in my opinion. I don't know how much Steelers football you watch, but he looks like he's washed up to me, and they have no choice but to trot him out there. So I think the Packers were trying to cover themselves when they took Jordan Love for not being in that situation. Did they do that too early? I think they did just because financially, as you can see, there's like a $30 million dead cap hit if they trade him now. And there was four years left on his contract when they did that. So it's a strange question. I don't think they're going to trade him. You know, I think that obviously last season he accounts uh, for one of the best seasons of maybe his entire career and changes their opinion. I don't think the Packers were dead set on we're drafting Jordan Love and he absolutely 100% has to play at some point during this contract. Talk right now with Jacob Westendorf of Game On Wisconsin. And I think one of the other things that I've just observed from afar, and I, I have to agree with you, by the way, I think Ben Roethlisberger has, in this, has started to degrade a lot. I mean, you look at last year, you know, they were undefeated, but I think a lot of that, you've got to give a lot more credit to the defensive side of the football for getting it done. And down the stretch, that, thing, that team fell apart real quick. Yeah, they got bombed in the playoffs by Cleveland. That never happens. They never lose to the Browns. And down the stretch, like you said, Roethlisberger looked like a guy that I mean, we were literally having conversations as to, can this team, are they better off with Mason Rudolph? I mean, it's it's not exactly the backup quarterback that you're thinking of that could be the future there. Mason Rudolph is a is a backup at, the, at best. I'd agree with you. But looking at Aaron Rodgers, like, what's your percentage, you know, zero, like, from a scale of 1 to 10, what's the likelihood do you see Aaron Rodgers getting traded? Two. Um, you know, and I say that just because never say never, but you know, the story came out with Adam Schefter the day of the draft. And then ever since then, it feels like it it got a little bit worse Then Mark Murphy obviously acknowledges that there's a conflict. They keep saying, you know, they want him back. Then you've got his old teammates, John Kuhn, James Jones, AJ Hawk talking about, you know, wanting to be, this is how it has to end is what AJ Hawk said yesterday is he has to be in green Bay. James Jones has said, He'll talk directly to the organization. I think, you know, everything Aaron Rodgers does is very calm, uh, very well thought out. And I I personally think, I do think there are some issues. You know, Murphy obviously acknowledged them. But I think that at the end of the day, what's going to happen is he'll sign a new contract, he'll come back to Green Bay, and he'll say that all the media does is stir thing up for Cliffs, uh, and it was a smear campaign. And now he has that plausible deniability because he hasn't said anything. And I'd agree with you. And, you know, one of the things that I'm just thinking about is if the Packers did trade Aaron Rodgers, which I I sort of feel like it's unlikely as well, but if they did trade, one, would it be in the AFC, and two, who would be the most likely candidate that would wind up being able to give them enough to make that trade feasible? Yes, it would be in the AFC. You know, I think the reason, you know, they, they obviously were asked by the Rams before the Rams acquired Matthew Stafford. They were asked by the 49ers, and those conversations were very short. If they ultimately decided this is what has to happen, 
They'll trade him to the AFC. You guys might remember, you know, 13 years ago when Green Bay traded Brett Favre, they traded him to the Jets because they were absolutely not trading him to the Vikings or to uh, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers was the other team. So the team that I think Green Bay would trade him to that could give the most is the Denver Broncos. You know, that's been off-rumored. Obviously, they need a quarterback. Vic Fangio would probably let Rodgers essentially run the offense. And then, you know, they've got some intriguing young pieces. They have all of their picks. They didn't trade up for a quarterback. If you want to talk about something they could get, you know, two or three young players in two or three years worth of first and second or third round, some combination of draft picks. And then that's where it would get really interesting because then does Denver start kind of recruiting through back channels, guys like Devon? Do they trade – let's say Jerry Judy and Noah Fant in this deal, thinking that a year from now we've got Rodgers so we could get Devontae Adams and we can get Robert Tunyon or something like that. But I think the Broncos are the team that makes the most sense. And, you know, Jacob, thank you so much for coming on, my man. We'll talk to you down the road. Seems like you got a lot going on on the Saturdays. I'll let you get to it. Yeah, I appreciate that. She's uh, she's a little chatty, so I apologize. But it's she all likes to it's talk all good. Too, thanks for having me. It's all good. I mean, if she's got some takes about the Packers as well, we're we're here to take it, right? I guess so. Thank you very much, Clint. I appreciate it. Talk to you guys again. I Jacob Westendorf, game on Wisconsin. And right before we take a quick time out, I, I absolutely love that that we actually managed to get some uh, some commentary from the from his daughter. That was absolutely just too cute. But before we take a quick time out, the Houston Astros. They're not a roll lately. They've been looking good, especially at home in the middle of a homestand. So they're going to be getting ready for a big game in a couple weeks from now against the San Diego Padres. And we want you to be part of the exciting action with 103.7 The Game's Astros Weekend Getaway, powered by Butcher Air Conditioning and J&J Exterminating. And, of course, us here at 103.7 The Game. All you got to do is is sign up today in the clubhouse at 1037thegame.com. It's free to enter. It's free to join. Don't worry. You won't be spammed with a bunch of emails. Make sure you get in on the action today, and you'll have a chance to score four tickets and a $200 Visa gift card for the Houston Astros home game against the San Diego Padres on May 29th. That's Memorial, I believe that's Memorial Day weekend, if I'm not mistaken. It could be completely off base. Mind you, days and weeks and months, all that stuff. Yeah, it's going to be Memorial Day weekend. I want to just hit the Google machine. Simple as that. But Memorial Day weekend, you have a chance to go see the Houston Astros, play the San Diego Padres. You can see one of the hot young talents in Fernando Tatis Jr. As long as he doesn't get hurt again. He, he has COVID right now, but he'll be back by the time May 29th rolls around. So make sure to enter in the clubhouse today at 1037thegame.com for the Astros weekend getaway. Powered by Butcher Air Conditioning, J&J Exterminating, and 103.7 The Game, Acadiana's Sports Station. We'll take a quick timeout. We'll come back, wrap up the hour, talk us a little baseball and some softball, too. Back after this on Acadiana Sports Station, 103.7 The Game at 103.7thegame.com. The famous CD is a five-tool player of sports talk. He can talk about a lot of different things, even some soccer. Fuel Manchester United, suppose. Sing the Manchester United song. Okay, maybe not soccer. Back to Under the Dome on 103.7 The Game. Guarantee, when you hear that song, you are not going to hear me talk about some uh, soccer, especially since Man U is not in any championship contention in the FA Cup especially, but we're going to talk about 
some stuff at the ballpark last night and nothing short of outstanding all the way around, I'd say. Because all the teams that we cover here, they won yesterday. We'll start things off with the Houston Astros after a wild walk-off win on Thursday. They looked pretty damn good in game number two. Martin Maldonado hit a two-run jack to help seal a 10-4 to win over the Texas Rangers to move the Astros one and a half games back of the AOS lead, and that is currently held by the Oakland A's. And here's that two-run home run. 2-2. Two, two. That's hit in the air pretty deep down the left field line, and that ball is headed for the Landry's Crawford boxes. A two-run home run for Martin Maldonado and a 10-2 Astros lead. Second jack for Maldonado this year. Great pull power. Loves to hit at Minute Maid Park. And he's really starting to come around. It's definitely nothing short of spectacular. Hopefully you're going to hear the Astros. Game number three of the series will be on 103.7 The Game right after LSU wraps up. Speaking of LSU, they eked out a really solid win as well to keep the ball rolling. A huge series against the Alabama Crimson Tide, winning that one 2-1. to one. It all came down to Drew Bianco in the seventh. Short lead off of first by Beloso. This one hammered down the line. Going to drop in fair and left. Beloso around second on his way to third. Mishandled out in left field by Reeves. Beloso sent home. There'll be no throw. And the Tigers make it 2 nothing. And that game will be, game two of the series will be at two o'clock this afternoon. The Tigers looking to win the series, but I think more importantly, they are absolutely looking to sweep. This is a must win type of game for the LSU Tigers heading into that final week of the regular season. Cause you've got the SEC tournament coming up and we know the team can make their hay over there. But when you look at the standings, that's where things are really kind of tricky is right now Alabama's I believe a little bit ahead of them. Yeah, they are actually 11, uh, Alabama dropped 11-13. LSU, they sweep this one. They're going to be fourth in the SEC West, barring anything out of the ordinary, like losing the entire series to Texas A&M, which if they do, that's a real gut punch. But being able to get towards that, like, six seed, because it's all about overall win-loss record. You're probably, like, right here right now, you got one, two, three, Four, five, six, seven. You're probably going to be an eight or nine seed just based off of, like, if you want to win in the rest of the way, things are going to look a lot better for the LSU Tigers. Meanwhile, one team that is looking to take back control of the Sun Belt West division is the Louisiana Raging Cajuns. And if you stayed away past your bedtime to see the final moments of this one, you're a real one and you've got my utmost respect. And the Louisiana Raging Cajuns came away with a four to three win, opened up the series with the Mavs after a 15-inning war that ended with a sack fly from Josh Cofield. Again, it's a little bit different than the LSU series. This is massive for a Cajun team that's looking to take back control of the division because I think that's absolutely crucial when it comes to getting into the big dance because the Sun Belt Conference, you need to win that championship to get in. It's the old saying, you can't win it if you're not in it. And they need to be in it in terms of getting into that spot. And punching your ticket is going to require you winning the title. Winning the title, I think, is going to be crucial if you're the number one seed coming out of the West. 
that's where the conversation's going to begin and end for for the for the Louisiana Raging Cajuns, I think. And I'm hoping they can get it done this year. They've got a ton of talent. But the million-dollar question is, how are they going to get it done whenever they just haven't necessarily been able to put it all together over the course of an entire series? I mean, the, the Summer Conference, they've gotten, like, their bell's gotten rung a good bit. Can they answer the bell? That's the real question. Before we get out of here, Cajun softball going to be awaiting their next opponent later today. Winner of South Alabama, Texas State. That's going on right now. I'll give you an update about that at the top of the hour. Cajun softball been doing softball things in the Sunbelt Tourney, and they need to beat Texas State and South Alabama, or one of those two, to beat the, win the tourney, and so up another tournament bid. Talk about that later. Back after this on 103.7 The Game, 103.7 The Game.com. This should be played at high volume, preferably in a residential area. Live and local from the 1037 The Game Studios in Upper Lafayette. This is Acadiana's number one sports station, 1037 The Game. Streaming live at 1037thegame.com and on the free 1037 The Game mobile app. It's Saturday. Take a walk on the wild side. Get your Saturday started with an inside look under the dome with the world famous CD. Do you know who I am? I don't know how to put this, but I'm kind of a big deal. On 103.7, the game. Hey! Good afternoon, everybody. Hopefully, you have a great Saturday afternoon. Under the dome, hour two of two is officially underway. And, of course, we're coming to you live from the first South Farm Credit Studios. Here, this, worldwide. And appreciate you listening in, however you're doing. So be it through that old school FM dial. He has the tower power. He is too sweet to be sour. He is the rap master. There is no other. There is no equal to man. And, of course... Appreciate you listening in. If you're listening through the free mobile app, the .com smart speakers, Amazon Alexa, Google Home, like that smart speaker liner just played, which always seemingly plays every time I'm on the air multiple times, trying to get my phone to trigger and go ahead and play that magic number. But yeah, we got a lot to get. We got a lot to get to in the next hour at 12:30. Going to have John Eric Poli join the program. My MMA News going to get a little preview of what's going on with. UFC 250, 262, excuse me, I've been jumping around with the numbers a lot. It's like I've been losing track. I'm getting tired of the numbers. We need to see just the actual name of what the fight is. Like Usman Masvidal 2, which, by the way, may have been one of the most underrated cards of all time. Mainly because of the fact that the card only lasted like, like three hours. Like That's something that needs to happen more often, and I'm tired of the UFC starting main cards at like 9 a.m. 9 p.m., excuse me. Come on now. We need to go ahead and retire that and have these fights start around like 7, 7 o'clock hour time or like 6 o'clock or like 5 o'clock on the East Coast. We don't need to have like a – because some fights could go the entire three rounds and entire cards could be all three rounds and the fights don't end until like 1 a.m. We need sleep as fans of the fight game. But we'll talk about that with him at 1230. In fact, the game, the fights are all the way over in H Town, about three hours away. I believe this is going to be at the, I think at the Toyota Center. I know they got the Fertitta Center for AEW Dynamite. And by the way, they announced they're going to have AEW Dynamite 
over in New Orleans 2022. Might try and finagle a couple days off for that because I want to go to one of the first shows post-COVID. In 2022, I think I'd be a lot more comfortable with that. At least that's just the way I think right here, right now. But again, appreciate Jacob Westendorf for joining the program earlier. But if you want to join in the program and join in on the conversation, 337-706-0111. But I said I was going to give you an update concerning what's going on with the Louisiana Ragin' Cajuns. And I'll go ahead and give you that update right now. It's between Texas State and South Alabama. They actually just started about an hour ago. Go ahead and pull that up for you right now. I'm going to go ahead and Texas State. Okay, Texas State softball. Okay, their current number. It's weird. Like I don't understand why you can't just tell me, oh, here's what the score is. But they got to go ahead and just show these different videos and stuff and clips. Or you could just give us the score. So come on now. like Get us to the number. I have to go through all these other like hoops to get to. Let me go ahead and sunbelt, or let me go ahead and just do South Alabama. It's, it's it's ridiculous. Like, why can't you make things simple? Texas State, get it together. So right now, it's tied up one-one in the bottom of the fourth right now between the Texas State Bobcats and South Alabama. Winner going to be playing the Louisiana Raging Cajuns. In fact, it just got tied one-one with a home run down the left field line by the Jaguars. So I'm sure Dave Schultz is looking at his chops for another game between the Cajuns and South Al. But in the meantime and in between time, I want to get to some thoughts about what's going on with the NFL schedule. We're going to go back to that, but we're going to go more along the lines with the most intriguing games of the 2021 schedule. And I think the biggest game of them all is Packers-Chiefs, but I feel like Packers-Chiefs Strictly in terms of the name notoriety between those two. This that could be a Super Bowl preview with all due respect to Tampa Bay. And they've got all twenty two starters back. I think Packers Chiefs probably the most intriguing, but I think I'm gonna put that to the side. Cause that feels too easy. And also, we don't know what the status of Aaron Rodgers is. We said, you know, both me and Jacob Westendorf, we talked about it and said that was probably going to be, at best, a 2 out of 10 type of number because it feels like everything's going to get back to normal. We're going to see this, see both sides agree to, not quite disagree, I don't think, but they'll definitely team up. And cooler heads will prevail at the end of the day. But here's like five games just off the top of my head that I think could be a really intriguing ball game. And just games that have interest to me. And I'll go right out on front street and say there's two Saints games on this. So, yeah. Bias, yes. But at the end of the day, there's just so many games out there that I feel like just don't vibe with me all that well. Now, this game, the first one, week one, Saints-Packers, that's without a doubt. A, that's a no-brainer. I think that's a big one. Especially, let's say hypothetically, somehow some way the Saints do get Aaron Rodgers, you have the Aaron Rodgers revenge game against Jordan Love. That would be marquee, and the NBC and ESPN execs, they'd be kicking themselves in the tuchus because they know they missed out on an opportunity to have that matchup on prime time. Another one, I think we got to go with the first Sunday night football game of the year, Bears-Rams. How are the Rams going to look with Matthew Stafford in the house? How is how are the Bears going to look? Is Andy Dalton going to be the answer for this team 
for one game only, is Justin Fields going to be good enough to start? There's a, I, I'm got a lot of questions about where things stand right here, right now, for the Chicago Bears. So much potential, but can they have a solid quarterback that's going to get them consistently? I think another one. Jags Dolphins, the London the London game. There's actually a London game featuring two teams that have sucked in the past but don't anymore in the Jags and the Dolphins. Now, I think the Jags will still suck this year because it's going to be just a steep learning curve for Trevor Lawrence because the Jaguars are absolute pain. But who's to say that the Jacksonville Jaguars don't turn it around and they could make this a very competitive ball game, a lot more than maybe I'd say a Jags-Dolphin game three years ago would have. Tua Tungavailoa, how much more invested are the Dolphins in him? They gave him more weapons to choose from, so I think that's going to be huge. Then you got Saints-Bills Thanksgiving night to close it out. That's a huge one. I want to see how that kind of works. And it's more importantly, because if the Saints are really a contender and they can pull off a win against the Bills, that could be the difference between them having a bye week or playing in a wild card round again. That's kind of where I'm at with this. And another one, I'll throw throw this log on the fire here as well, an AFC North matchup that could be for the AFC North title if the Browns don't kind of live up to the expectations. It's Steelers-Ravens. Yes, Ben Roethlisberger, we said it. He's not that great, but at the end of the day, he's just good enough to get him possibly to the AFC North Championship again. Remember, that team was like 11-0, and then they fell apart down the stretch, and I believe they still won the AFC North because of that really fast start. I think that could be for the AFC North Championship. Out of all the divisional games that are Week 17, that one stands out the most to me. Then I'll also go strictly on the revenge game factor. It's Bucks-Pats. There's no doubt in my mind this is going to be a game Everybody's going to watch just to see how the overall hate and vitriol of those teams are. But still, looking forward to seeing how things do work for the New Orleans Saints in 2021 with their schedule. And more importantly, to see who comes out on top. I'm not going to give you a way too early Super Bowl prediction. I gave you a way too early NFL schedule look-see, which I always do. It's always a highlight of mine to do that every single year. And I always want to think about how do I rank things out? How do I put things together just strictly off off of an eyeball test? It's hard to do. But it's not really. I think there are three or four teams that are bona fide just stars. It's the Packers, the Bucks, the Chiefs, and I'd say probably a... I'd say Dallas Cowboys, if they can stay healthy. San Fran as well, if they can stay healthy. Because I think they have, like, the 49ers, with all due respect to a lot of other people, they should have won that NFC West. It's going to be, I mentioned it last week, one of the most intriguing divisions in the entire league is the NFC West. See how that's going to go. The, a- the AFC North is going to be a log jam to try and figure out who comes out of that. They could be probably a 11-win team this year that misses out on the playoffs because how stacked the AFC North is. I could be completely wrong here, but I'm looking forward to being proven wrong. Man, I mean, that's definitely 
like six games just off top. I'm putting in Bucks Pass just as a bonus because I I don't think it's going to be like a highly competitive game. I think it's going to be a beatdown of epic proportions, and the Bucks and Tom Brady kind of just has that moment where he got over on Bill Belichick. After all this time, it kind of finally proves that maybe the mat, the student has surpassed the master by a country mile. But it will be fun to see how things do turn out. By the way, Texas State, South Alabama currently tied 1-1. That is now in the middle of the fifth after Texas State went down in order. So the Jags looking to try to break up the tie. And more importantly, secure the back. So I'm looking forward to seeing how that's going to turn out. But in about 15 minutes, we're going to talk UFC 262. We're going to take a quick timeout. And we're going to go ahead and talk about the NBA postseason. It's right around the corner. We've got some quick thoughts on that and so much more. You're listening to Under the Dome with CD. If you want to get a call in, 337-706-0111. Back after this. CD is a show for all the degenerates out there. You make your rules, and we will break them. Let's get back to the famous CD, who will break it all down for us. Welcome back to Under the Dome with CD, and just hearing that, my goodness, it got me amped up, but also a little bit sad, because, well, the reason why we played it, New Jack, the original gangsta from ECW, passed away last night. Like, right after I got off air here, I was blown away when I saw that. I was like, I have to play this at least once on this show to kind of do a little tribute. Pour one out for the man, New Jack. Absolutely an insane story, to say the least. Every time I it, – it's funny. But hopefully you have a good one so far. 337-706-0111. 337-706-0111. If you want to get in on the conversation – about maybe some NBA or the NFL, whatever you want to get into. UFC, if you want to talk pregnant stakes, I'll be your Huckleberry. But I want to get into some NBA talk right now because we're about to get to that point of the season. And it looks like more like looks like everything is secure at this point in time for all 10 spots because the Pelicans, they've got no chance. They've got no chance of getting it. It's all about kind of seeing how things shake out with the Trailblazers and the Lakers. It's a battle to determine who's going to wind up coming out on top there is the Trailblazers are currently ahead by a game heading into their final game, which is going to be tomorrow night against the Denver Nuggets, who are currently the three C. So if the the Blazers lose that one, the Lakers beat the Pelicans, which seems perfectly accepted and it's going to be expected. The Lakers will be out of the play-in tournament. And they'll be automatically in as a six seed, which is weird to think about because that team at one point was just dominant over the Western Conference, over the entire NBA, actually, before the LeBron James injury. Kind of put things in a little bit of a different perspective. But I like what I saw from this, like the playoffs. It feels like ev- everything is working out. I'm not necessarily the biggest fan 
of the play-in tournament and the way they have it set up where just, you know, the top, the bottom four teams, like, at least make it to where you've got a pl- like an 8-9 instead of 10. Like, you could have put in, like, let's say Hornets-Pacers, and that would have been a really fun game just for that 8 spot. That's all you got to do. He's already have, like, before that, yet 15 out of the 30 teams in the league get into the playoffs. Now, counting both playing games, you've got 20 total teams out of 30. It really waters down the way things stand with the NBA in the playoffs. But I think I've got to say, the Eastern Conference is pretty damn tough to predict right now. The 76ers, yes, they need to prove it to us, I think. and They need to prove to us that the process can be trusted. Because I think this team, you can't trust them as far as you can throw them. They've never really been able to get over the hump, especially with this this team, Joel Embiid, Ben Simmons, all those guys. They've talked about the process for so long. Show me we can get to that point, and the process is reliable. The Nets, I think the Nets are the strong favorite to win the entire thing. They have been looking really good down the stretch. Winners of three straight. They are the number two seed. There's no doubt in my mind that the Brooklyn Nets are a strong favorite to come out of this as the winner. I feel like the 76ers are a one seed, but they're a wolf in sheep's clothing. I think they'll be exposed by whoever they play in probably the quarters versus the first round of the playoffs when they'll be playing either the Celtics, Hornets, Pacers, Wizards. I think it's depending on how the seeding goes after the play-in tournament. It's still a little wacky, but I think more likely than not they'll be playing either the Pacers or the Wizards. Because I believe it's going to be the, like the seven plays, the eight or something. I, I don't know how the play-in tournament, like I haven't looked at the bracket yet, but it should be fun. Nonetheless, out of the Eastern Conference. In the Western Conference, I feel like, I hate to say it, but it feels like it's the Lakers at this point. But don't be surprised if you see a Denver Nuggets team kind of come alive and they kind of get things done because they have a lot of intrigue. There's a lot of interesting things about that team that I'm like, okay, I want to see where this goes. I want to go down the rabbit hole a little bit and see who this team really is. Because if they bring the heat, I guarantee you this is going to be a fun kind of series down the road. And also think that there's a chance where the Portland Trailblazers, and again, it all depends on where things kind of land. They could be a team that makes a really solid run because Dame Dalla like, has been shown to be a monster when it comes to the postseason. Now it's all about what the rest of his team can do for him. Also, you got to think Steph Curry and crew. Steph Curry and the Memphis Grizzlies are the hottest team in the league right now. Winners of five straight. And we talk about it all the time. When it comes to postseason play, as you head into that, what does your form look like? In the last 10 games, they are 7-3. and three. Mind you, most everybody else is 7-3. and three. The Mavericks are probably the hottest team in terms of the last 10 games at 8-2 and freaking two, alongside the Trailblazers. But I think there's something to be said for a team that's currently racking up five wins in a row. And the Warriors have shown themselves to be a team to look forward to, a team that's going to wind up having a lot of positives. Steph Curry has really turned it around in the last couple of months, and I'm intrigued to see how it's going to go for that team as they make the playoffs. It's been a couple years since they've been in there, 
But I think once they get in, if they can get past the playing tournament, I guarantee you that's going to be a fun kind of little situation to watch. I'll tell you now, that is going to be real fun to see how it all kind of kind of works out. Then you get to a no-doubter here. I'd say in terms of the playing tournament, I'll give you who I think is going to like, come out of that alive. Let's go ahead and, and consider the fact that the Trailblazers do lose tomorrow to wrap the regular season, the Lakers do win. So let's go Blazers, Warriors, Grizzlies, Spurs. Everything else is secured. It's just you don't know where things, who's going to fall where or what. Because, I mean, you can also see if the Blazers win that one, they could move up to a five seed if the Mavs lose. It's, it's really complicated. But I'd say the two teams that come out of it, it's probably going to be the Blazers and the Warriors. I think that's going to be where it's in. I want to, I would love to see the Grizzlies get it done, but it feels like they could be an 0-2 barbecue. The Spurs, Popovich has shown himself to be really good in the postseason in the past. i got to lean more towards Warriors and Trailblazers. Hell, whoever's going to be the seventh seed, I have a feeling, more likely than not, they'll win their play-in tournament game and get into the next round of the postseason. Meanwhile, the Eastern Conference, I feel like that's very much up in the air. Because you got a lot of teams that are heading into it stumbling. And one of those teams that I think on any other given day, they'd have a chance to be a like in the tournament, in the playoffs, easy. But the playing tournament, and it's the Boston Celtics at 500. Which, again, speaks to what I was just talking about. The fact that the NBA's you know idea of trying to make things a little bit better for the major networks to be able to have content is the fact that you've got, and it's something the MLB does too. I mean, it's a 162-game season. A lot of teams don't necessarily have, like, huge, overwhelming, you know, 600 records. They're usually around, like, a little above 500 or below. And this, pretty much your entire play-in tournament outside of the Celtics, who are at 500, is below 500. you got the Hornets, 33-37 and 37 alongside the Indiana Pacers, who have the same record. 33 and 38 for the Washington Wizards. Think about that. You've got all that talent to work with, but you're currently still having teams who are four or five games below 500. That's a damn disappointment. That is a disappointment and then some to kind of think about. Like, what's going on with these franchises? And I'm just sitting here like dumbfounded that we have this kind of situation where we're in. And of course, if, if they had one eight seed that was like below 500, you'd probably be like, you know, eh, it is what it is. Because again, 16 teams out of the entire league will get in to the playoffs in the old format. And if one team is a little bit below 500 is what it is. It's all like how we see in the postseason. We laugh at it in the NFL, especially with the NFC East. The last few years, you had teams sub 500 get in. You had the Washington Football team, let's call it the other name. But the Washington football team literally had like a I think six and ten record and got into the playoffs. And that's like laughable. Like it's borderline just like disappointing and depressing to think about. But that's kind of where things stand in the NBA. In terms of who I think kind of advances, I'd probably go more with the Hornets and the Wizards. I feel like the Celtics they're falling apart a lot down the stretch, so I think you'll wind up probably seeing a lot of changes be made this offseason 
for the Boston Celtics. And you kind of see where things go from there because it's just the state of the union over there is not very good. Meanwhile, it's amazing to think, like, what was it, three years ago? You had the Toronto Raptors winning the NBA championship, and now they're, like, 12th ranked in the East. It's a collapse and then some for that franchise. Meanwhile, still tied 1-1, bottom five in the Sunbelt Conference Tournament. South Alabama and Texas State, but the bases are juiced for the Jags. So we'll give you an update about that a little bit later on so you know what's going on and how things stand for your Louisiana Raging Cajuns as we approach the end of the tournament and, more importantly, get to Selection Sunday. I'll give you my thoughts on that to end the show. we got John Eric Polite coming up in a couple minutes, but before I take a timeout, I've got some questions for you. Are you looking to make a career change? Are you just stuck in your current job path and it feels like you're stuck in the mud you're spinning the tires at this point do you just need a job you know there's a lot of different questions but if you answered this to any or all of them yes if you answered yes to that well we've got an opportunity for you at delta media if you have an experience with sales get that application in today send that resume over to johnette cochran by emailing J Cochran, that's J C O C H R A N to at Delta Media Corp. That's C O R P dot com or give her a ring at 896 1600 during business hours. Time like today, probably just going to get a voicemail. But we're interviewing for full time positions this week. So if you're ready to be a full time beast and sell advertising for Delta Media, all you got to do is email Jay Cochran at Delta Media Corp. That's C-O-R-P dot com. But if you want to just keep listening to some sports talk, we got that for you with John Eric Poli. My MMA News UFC 262 preview. We'll be back after this on 103.7 The Game and 103.7 The Game dot com. From the octagon to the 20 by 20 squared circle and everywhere in between. The world famous CD isn't afraid of tackling any topic. Just don't expect him to get into the ring with anyone he offends. Just bring it. Let's get back to Under the Dome. And welcome back to Under the Dome with CD right here on Acadiana Sports Station, 1037 The Game and 1037thegame.com. Coming to you live from the First South Farm Credit Studios. But it's time to talk a little UFC with UFC 262 going on tonight. A huge card, namely the main event lightweight championship on the line, determining who takes over that vacant championship after Khabib Nurmagomedov hung it up after he finally was able to be officially retired. It's be Chandler, Michael Chandler taking on Charles Oliveira in the main event, but still there's a really intriguing undercard match we'll get to as well. And to do that, we've got to go over to the 1037 the game hotline and talk with our guy from my MMA news, John Eric Poli. John, how's it going? Hey man, I'm doing really well. Thanks for having me on the program. It's always great to talk to you and uh talk about 
what is my favorite sport of them all, MMA. Uh, same here, man. It's always great to talk to you, especially heading into a huge card. I can't believe I missed out on the opportunity. I think I might have had like a show that got cut like to well, like a half hour, so couldn't get you on before the big fight card, UFC 261, Usman Masvidal 2. We'll start there. Because obviously there was a like a lot of stuff that happened in that card, just from like the main card especially. You had two matches get stopped due to injuries to the leg, especially Chris Weidman losing in after only one strike after he went down with a leg injury eerily similar to Anderson Silva. I think the first question is, do you think he's done with his career? Do you think there's a chance for him to come back? Uh, well, I believe Weidman actually came out, uh, was it about a week ago, I want to say, and he's planning on fighting again. And if he does, I give him a lot of credit because at his age, an injury like that, I mean, ugh, trying to come back is going to be really tough. But uh, he seems like he's determined to do it. And if he's willing to put in the work and he's willing to do it, I mean, hey, I think I think we owe it to him. He's obviously was a hell of a champion back in the day. But, of course, like you were saying there, it happened to Anderson Silva. And if you recall... Silva was having problems with his leg and started having to use some uh, performance-enhancing drugs to get back inside of the uh, octagon when he fought, uh, I believe, Nick Diaz in his return fight. So I know it's a grueling injury, and he's going to have an uphill battle, but you know, best wishes to him on a, on a speedy recovery. And I mean, if he's able to come back quickly, I'd like to see him do it again. I don't know. It was like right when I saw it, it was like I had to keep turning away every time they showed the replay. It was like one of the most like horrific things you'd ever see. But we'll, we'll talk about UFC 262 in a moment. But I want to get your thoughts on, you know, obviously UFC 261 was the first UFC event since COVID happened that had full-blown fans out in Jacksonville. Tonight will be more the same in Texas. Which did you like more now that we've gotten time to kind of breathe in the return of fans. What did you like more? The no fans aspect where you were able to hear everything and it felt like it was just more of an intimate situation or the la- the roar of the crowd? Because obviously the, the fighters love the roar of the crowd, but from your perspective. Yeah, you know, that's a great question. And uh, I think the, one of the last times I was on, we were actually talking about, that was one of the topics we talked about. And having no fans in the arena did definitely bring a different perspective to the sport and something that in a way was, I want to say it was good for the sport. We saw a lot of things that we never, never saw before really, really being able to hear corners, really being able to hear, you know, the breathing aspect of things and, and, and fighters kind of talking to each other. But man, when UFC 261 first came on the air there and the fans were screaming and yelling, I forgot just how great it was to have fans in the audience because that was just, incredible to hear the roar of the crowd like that so after seeing that and and having you know this whole last year or over a year now of not having fans due to the coronavirus pandemic i'm gonna have to lean towards the side of having fans in the building because that was really was magical to put it into words oh no i have to agree with you it was amazing just because like the second they had like the opening contest of the main car because i kind of skipped a good bit of the undercard I'm, i'm gonna admit that but my God, the second things got going, you could just tell that crowd was like a full 180, and you were like, "Okay, this is this is what we had been waiting for." Oh yeah! As soon as Bruce Buffer goes, "We are live," the crowd just went nuts, and like sitting there watching it at home, you felt the energy. So I can only imagine yeah. what it was like for everybody that was in there, and I mean, not to mention even like that 
that first fight with Anthony Smith, there was a little time period where they almost were feeling each other out for a little bit. Yeah. And when they were doing that, you heard the crowd doing, I think it was the Olay chant, like the yes. Olay, Olay, Olay. And I know like a lot of times in the past, a lot of the fighters didn't like when, when the crowd would do that, but just to hear people yelling and yep. chanting and doing all of that was just, just nuts. And it, what an incredible night. I, that has to be probably one of the more historic UFC cards just for that aspect of everything that the world's been through to see the sport return and really the credit to the UFC first indoor sporting event to have a sold out crowd. So kudos to them. We have to give them full credit. Also, Give them credit for putting together a really stacked card. It felt almost International Fight Week-esque, but this card is pretty darn solid as well, especially with the two lightweight fights at the tail end of the main card. We'll talk about those right now. First off, you got Tony Ferguson in a huge matchup against Benel Darush. That's going to be one hell of a fight, and I think if Ferguson wins this one, he could be first in line, especially after some of his talking points let's go ahead and put it that way during the ufc press conference but that was on thursday yeah dana white privilege talk about a great line that was absolutely an all-time like based world line <laughs> and not to mention too i believe the uh the bonuses got up to instead of fifty thousand, uh i believe it's seventy five thousand for this uh this card as well due to tony ferguson yeah tony's great on the mic and whatever he's doing people want to see him do it and Excited to see him fight again tonight because this this matchup here is wow. I mean, there's like there's certain fights where you're like, I have no idea how the hell this is going to go. This is one of those matchups because both of these guys, if you blink, you're probably going to miss something. Oh no, I'm I'm, a, I'm kind of agreeing with you there because it's just so much fun to see the, him go at it. But again, those those the phrase that he used, but it's like I want to see that happen, but at the same time. I'm kind of wanting to see what's going to happen down the road, especially with a fight that maybe we'll, we'll talk about in a little bit. But let's get to the main event. Charles Oliveira, Michael Chandler, whenever you first heard about that fight being announced, what was your reaction? Well, I was a little surprised, not with Chandler being in the mix, but uh, I, I know Oliveira's on a great win streak and everything, but I kind of felt like Justin Gaethje was going to be somewhere into that mix, especially with you know Poirier and McGregor going to do their trilogy in july so i was a little surprised that that gaethje got left out of the out of the mix here but it, it's a great matchup i mean we talk about this division all the time 155 is murderer's row any guy probably ranked really in the top 10 can be champion on any given night and Oliveira does indeed deserve to be there there's you know i like i said i know gaethje, i thought gaethje wouldn't been in there but Oliveira definitely makes the case for it and uh i mean this is Really an exciting matchup, too, because great, you know, they say styles make fights. You look at this one, I feel Chandler will have an advantage on the feet, but when it comes to the grappling department, I mean, we saw what Oliveira did to Tony Ferguson and just took him down with Will. Not to mention now you have Michael Chandler, former Division One All-American, and a great wrestler inside of the cage as well. So it's a, it's a really nice matchup here that the UFC put together. And I, I say that because it was like the, the my reaction to it was kind of like shocking and disappointment because you had obviously Conor McGregor, Dustin Poirier, and Poirier won that fight, and it felt like I mean obviously he was number one in the rankings prior to Khabib's retirement. It made me wonder like why are we going with guys who are third and fourth in the rankings instead of you know giving us a Gaethje Poirier fight and then saving the trilogy for later to when it can be for the title and you can probably maximize your money. 
Yeah, I think this was just really a matter, though, in, in that regards, on Poirier's front. I, I think Connor really wanted to do this trilogy right away, and Connor's the money fight. I, I know that winning a title is important and everything, but Poirier really is in a really good spot right now because you're picturing he's going to fight McGregor in a trilogy. He wins out, and like no, no doubt about it, Poirier is the number one guy in this division, no questions asked. And he he's now going to well, okay, well back up to January where he just came off a huge payday, a huge win. He's going to go into July where he's going to be a favorite after what we just saw in in January. Going to get another huge payday. And right after that, he's going to now, if he wins that one, walks right into a title fight for what he's been working his whole career to accomplish and probably going to have another really huge payday. So I think things are going well down there for, for Dustin Poirier in that regard. But, yeah, as far as, like, the ranking standpoint, if they did want to do the Gaethje and, and Poirier rematch or even do Poirier and Chandler, yeah, that, that would have made sense from the ranking standpoint. But I, I think that Conor McGregor and the money fight and Conor pursuing to do this in July kind of pursued Dustin into that that way. I'm not sure if you'd be if you'd be able to tell us, but I'm sure you could probably come up with a rough estimate. How much of a payday do you think Poirier is going to have for Poirier McGregor 3? Obviously, Trilogy fights hold a lot more prestige, and the money is going to be massive. Yeah, that's that's a, a, a good question. I'm not sure what Poirier exactly got for the last one. Usually, when Connor fights, whoever Connor's opponent is, usually gets somewhere around like a two to three million type of a mark. So, I would assume now, I'm assuming Dustin's going to sit there and say, "I, I understand Connor's going to make more money. He's the draw, but whatever I made the last time, I should get more that I just beat him." So, yeah, he might. He might creep into the four or five mil area there for that fight, not counting, you know, pay-per-view bonuses and things like that. So probably a nice payday coming his way. A few mil coming there. You'd hope it'd be a really good payday coming his way. But we bring up the fact of Dustin Poirier and the trilogy fight with McGregor, and if he wins that, it's going to be set up for him possibly to face off against the winner of Chandler Oliveira. But could you see him get overlooked again but like we mentioned at the beginning of the interview with Tony Ferguson, the Dana White privilege drop, and him getting that reaction, you can almost think you, if you could have Michael Chandler, Tony Ferguson, you're going to book that fight first over Chandler or Oliveira versus Poirier, right? Yeah, well, I think timing makes a lot of, a lot of things, too, because you have to see how these fights play out tonight. If Let's just say Ferguson gets out of this somehow. He If he's to get a victory and not take any damage, and Chandler's to get a quick win if we're going that route, you could, in all reality, really book these two if they get out of there quickly by, who knows, maybe September, October, you know, depending on how the UFC would want to push that. And if Poirier and McGregor end up having a dirty fight, five rounds, people taking punishment or having rough training camps, they're obviously at a disadvantage. You know, let their bodies heal up. So timing does make a lot of it. But now if, let's say the opposite, the winner of tonight's main event, it goes five rounds. It's a hard, grueling fight. They need time off. And, Poirier goes out there and gets McGregor done quickly like he did the last time. Then all of a sudden, they have to push that fight back to later in the year. Set up well for Poirier then. So a lot of this is going to be you know, based on the scenarios as to what exactly happens tonight. All right, looking at the prelim card itself, I want to get your thoughts. Which fight in either the early or the preliminary card that's going to be on the four-letter network tonight, which one holds the most intrigue for you? I'm really looking forward to Andrea Lee and Antonina Shevchenko. Uh, really because uh, you're looking at two fighters there that are 
in pretty similar situations. So they're coming into this fight in the women's uh, flyweight division. They're ranked 11th and 12th right now, but that's because they've had some close losses. So Antonina Shevchenko lost a split decision to Roxanne Modafferi. Andrea Lee right now, she's on a three-fight losing streak, and I know what fans would be thinking because a lot of times when fans look at something, they'll say, well, this person just lost three in a row. they got to be cut or they're not that good, something along those lines. Well, Andrea lost a split decision to Lauren Murphy and a split decision to Joanne Calderwood. Those two are now fighting in a title elimination fight next month. Not to mention she also lost to Roxanne Montefiore in a fight that was two rounds to one, which is extremely close. So all she needed was a win here or a win there, and she's now fighting towards the top looking at a title fight. And then Antonina, of course, is Valentina's sister, so they're never going to fight each other, of course. But, again, she's 9-2 and two in her career. She did get beat pretty well by uh, Caitlin Chukagian, but, you know, Caitlin's the, I think, number one or number two contender, and for good reason. So if she didn't lose that Roxanne Montefiore fight, she's also right up there towards the top. So I think the winner of this fight really gets, you know, back in, just you say, mojo, so to speak, there, get some swagger and yep. could possibly really go on a run into this division. I can't wait for UFC 262 tonight. Before I let you go, i got to ask you this, because this is something I've gotten a conversation with people about, is are you just as tired as I am of the 9 p.m. like starts of the main card? Because those main cards could go to like 1 a.m. Yeah, yeah, it's, a, it's tough. And I'm actually located in Pennsylvania on the yeah. East Coast, so for me it's starting at 10, and there's times, yeah, it's uh, – it gets over pretty late. I, I have to say, though, it is now just like the schedule that I'm on because I, on the side, I started bartending and, and up at a, a casino here in Pennsylvania. So now I'm, nice. I'm on that schedule where I'm not going to bed till 2 or 3 a.m. So it's <laughs> now it's working out. But my job, my other job that I had before this when it was day shift, yeah, it's, it's tough. It is really oh, tough staying up that late. It's brutal. It's brutal. Like, once again, John, thank you so much for coming on, my man. We'll talk to you down the road. Awesome, my man. Looking forward to it. Thank you uh, so much for this opportunity to talk uh, and, and talk about, like I said, what's my favorite sport. I know it's your favorite sport as well. And maybe we'll do this again in June. And definitely have to do it in July before the McGregor Poirier fight. Oh, hell that yeah. One a lot of people have circled. Hell yeah. We need to get in on that. We'll do that. Talk to you down the road. Once again, John Eric Poli, my MMA news. And before we take a quick timeout, let me tell you something. We talk about June. That's right around the corner. Father's Day. That's right around the corner as well. And we want you to make sure you show dear old dad how much he means to you. With Dad doesn't need another tie sweepstakes powered by Cajun Gun and Gear. That's right. We're giving away a $500 Visa gift card. You can buy a lot of ties with that, but I guarantee you he's not going to want that. So a $500 Visa gift card that can get you something really, really cool that you can score for you, for score that special gift. You've been wanting to get your dad for a good while simply by signing up in the 1037 The Game Clubhouse at 1037thegame.com. It's free to enter and it's free to join. That's the Dad Doesn't Need Another Tie Sweepstakes presented by Cajun Gun and Gear and 1037 The Game, Acadiana's Sports Station. Maybe you can get your dad a nice gun or a gun rack if he owns a, a gun. If you remember Wayne's World, you know what I'm talking about there. But we're going to go ahead and take a quick timeout. Got enough time for one final take. And then we're out of here. Back after this on 103.7 The Game. Just before we close up shop here on 103.7 The Game, 
The famous CD is looking to fire off one more take before dropping the mic. Is it going to be a hot one? Or is it going to be one he'd like to take back six months down the road? Let's listen in and find out. That's right. One more take before we go home. And I think Cajun softball, they're going to call Baton Rouge once again. That's kind of where I stand right now with the Louisiana Rage and Cajun softball team. As much as we hate to say it, I think that's where their lot in life is. And it sucks. I, I want to see Jerry Glasgow host the regional before it's all said and done. And it's got to make him wonder, what does he have to do to get to that point? I think there's a couple things. And it's mainly, you know, win some of those non-conference games that, you know, on paper, you're not supposed to win those He's got a lot of should wins, and they've won a lot of games in the conference. They've dominated the conference, but it's the fact they've just pretty much held dominion over the entire thing for a good while. I'm looking forward to seeing how things are going to turn out for the Cajuns come tomorrow, but it's looking more and more likely that they'll be just waiting to see where they go, and it'll be more likely than not the city of Baton Rouge and Tiger Park, and LSU is going to be hosting a regional, despite you know having, a, I'd say, a down year. They're playing in the SEC, and that's always a tough, tough conference to fight out of and be at the top. But before we get out of here, I got one more thing to say that starting next week, I'm going to make this announcement now. Starting next week, Under the Dome with, with CD will be moving to a different time. Same station, but just a different time, a couple hours earlier. So if you want to readjust your schedule, make sure you do so. Starting next week, Under the Dome with CD will be from 9 to 11. We'll be taking over the spot held by Unprompted with Louis Prejean. We'll take over from 9 to 11 going forward. So trust me, if you want to hear the greatest hot takes live and in living color, you want to get in on the conversation about all the great things in the world of sports, 9 to 11 is the place to be under the dome with CD is who you need to tune into. Until then, I'm out of here. I've been the famous CD. Now I'm just going to be CD until next Saturday, 9 to 11. Y'all take it easy. Peace. Wake up! The show's over! Oh yeah! Kick it!